0: My name is Luke. I serve as one of the pastors on staff here at Mercy Road, and it is my greatest honor and uh, privilege and delight to introduce to you a brand new message series that we're about to dive into this morning for the next nine weeks. And so this is probably one of the longest message series that we've ever conducted here as a local church, all oriented around the organizing metaphor of becoming prepared for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And if I'm, I know that I'm not the only person in the room right now who is not interested in playing church, amen. amen? Like, I am just not interested in going through the motions. I'm not interested in entertaining Christians. I'm not interested in any of that. I'm not interested in gimmicks or clever things to get people to show up and do, and do things. What I'm interested in is genuine encounters with the holy living God. That's what I'm interested in. My, my mom and my dad, they're awesome people, and uh, they've just got this new ministry here that they, they left their church, and uh, when we planted this church back in, in 2019, it's been awesome to see them get involved here, and part of my mom's whole ministry growing up, uh, when I was a kid, she had this whole ministry, she, she would take women into the outdoors, uh, specifically women into the outdoors, on all kinds of adventures, she called it True North Travelers, it's, an out, it's actually an outpost now. And um, they have this barn behind their house, and the barn is kind of like an amateur REI. There's just like gear everywhere, and that's just what my mom and dad did. My mom would take uh, these, these women into the wilderness for these epic adventures and share God's word. It's always just been her ministry now for the, for the last many years. And my mother has always had this saying that has stuck with me, and it's a little tongue in cheek, so hang in there with me here. But she says, Luke, there's no such thing as bad weather, only bad clothing, yeah. I'm like, what does that even mean? What does that even mean? Because, like, the weather doesn't look good. She's just the kind of person that will go into any situation, any environment. Like, she's got her raincoat ready to go. She's got food and water for, like, three days in case she gets lost. Like, all the things. Like, all the things. Luke, there's no such thing as bad weather, only bad clothing. Here's how this connects to an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There is no such thing as being able to predict a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit for the church to become awakened to God's presence. There's only a church not being prepared for one. That's it. You and I can't control the Holy Spirit. We can't control the fresh outpouring, the fresh presence of God in our midst. We can't do that. We don't have the power to manipulate the Holy Spirit. He's God. He's God. We can't predict it like a weatherman would predict the weather. And if we tried to, we'd get it wrong most of the time. But you can be prepared for one. And all throughout Scripture, we see moments and people and and churches being prepared for becoming awakened to God's presence because of a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit within their midst. And if there's any church that was not interested in playing church or going through the motions, it was the very early church right after Jesus resurrected from the grave and empowered his disciples to take this mission to all places and all people. And that the Holy Spirit, someone better suited to empower them and comfort them through the hard times, would accompany them And so the Holy Spirit at Pentecost descended and empowered the people, empowered God's people to live God's mission. Missionally, their whole life was oriented around God's gospel call on their life. You can only be prepared. Your heart and your mind and your family and your... The next nine weeks, we're going to address the nine areas, so to speak, of your life that can become prepared. Prepared for an outpouring of the holy spirit on your life. And I know that you want it and we now we live in a world where authenticity is the principal value especially of this new coming generation who's just starving and hungered and thirsting for something real and authentic and these next generations if they discern that something smells looks feels fake they're gone. I wish my uh, generation, the millennial generation, and, and the generation before mine would have introduced that value much sooner. So it's incumbent upon the church now to facilitate the Holy Spirit's encounters, the Holy Spirit's work within our midst. It means that we'll have to get our hearts right before God. It means that we need to seek God's face above all things. You know, we can't be God. We can't play God. We're subject to him. And I think that what we can do as a church in these next summer months is prepare for authentic encounters with God. Do you want that? I know that you want it deep down, and I want it deep down too. And it's going to look like rejecting going through the motions and instead in full transparency, just like the theme verse for our year, Joel 2.13, to rend your heart and not your garments, to not look the part, to not go through the motions, but to have authentic encounters with the living, breathing God by getting vulnerable, by getting transparent in front of his face. Here's some context for this passage under examination. Paul and Silas are in Thessalonica. It's actually, that's how it's pronounced. Their first month of ministry in this city had massive results. This is all documented in Acts And so they were in the city of Thessalonica, and they were there, Paul and Silas, doing ministry, and in one month, they saw a huge number of conversions and salvations transpire. Like God just showed up and and saved souls, and people repented of sin, and people got real before God, and their ministry was, by all accounts and standards, was just like taken off, and there was fruit immediately. Well... In this uh, city, that quick, quick conversion rate was met with suspicion and persecution. Uh, so much so that Paul and Silas had to flee Thessalonica. Because the word got out that this Jesus of Nazareth was more powerful than Caesar. That he was worthy of our worship and worthy of, your, of honor beyond even Caesar. So this letter from Paul to the Christians in Thessalonica it was an attempt by Paul to reconnect with that Christian community that he loved and encouraged uh, so much. He loved them so deeply. and He wanted to challenge them, even though they were flourishing under persecution. He wanted to encourage them to keep on keeping on. And so these are the words from Paul to this, this, this startup Christian community in Thessalonica where he has these, these words that have now lasted for you know, a couple thousand years or so. This is what it says in chapter 5, starting in verse 12. The passage will be on the monitors to my right and my left. It says this, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strives to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. And here's the key verse for the morning. Verse 17. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And finally, do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all, hold on to what is good, and reject every kind of evil. Other translations, like the ESV version, renders verse 17 as pray without ceasing. So you've got pray continually or pray without ceasing, and that sounds very idealistic and very unrealistic, especially in 2023 when everyone's schedules are full and lives are busy and responsibilities are high. And so when you hear something like pray continuously or pray without ceasing, your mind just kind of goes to like, oh, I'm sure that they would have had the time and space to do that then. But they don't live in a modern era now. Sounds really impossible to pray without ceasing, to pray continually. This encouragement from Paul to this startup community in Thessalonica that was kind of flourishing quickly with fruit. and Hey, the way that you'll sustain that movement is to pray continually. To pray without ceasing. To give thanks in all circumstances. Don't quench the spirit. Don't reject prophecy. Test them. Against God's living word reject all kinds of evil there was this ongoing encouragement from Paul to these Christians like hey you've got a good thing going here let me let me teach you how to preserve it with salt let me teach you how to keep this thing alive with momentum so the Holy Spirit leads leads the way but when you hear pray without ceasing I know I hear a non-stop mumbling of prayers What's that guy over there doing? Well, he's praying without ceasing. He doesn't talk to anybody. No, she doesn't talk to anyone. She doesn't even eat. She just prays without ceasing. Is that what that means? Is it what it means? Is, is praying without ceasing or praying continually mean that you reject every other thing in your life so that you can now pray in a monastic lifestyle? You've become a monk. You're off, you're off to the monastery. That's that's not your life. And that does sound awesome at times. But, you know, that is not what Paul's trying to communicate to the Christians there. As you go about your day and as you go about your routine, you are doing something continually. You are doing something um, that most of us don't even know that we're doing, it's a conversation with ourselves. I call it the monologue in the mind, or the monologue of the mind. This is where you talk to you, and we all do it. All of us have an ongoing conversation. Whether you'd like to admit it or not, you're always talking to someone, and 99% of the time, it's you who you are talking to. This monologue between you and yourself. You are continually speaking with yourself. The internal thoughts, the the internal monologue with you. It's not a dialogue because it's just you talking with you or to you. And this monologue in your mind can be a very dangerous place, church family, because this conversation with yourself is where a stinking thinking happens. Do you understand? This is the place where stinking thinking is born. It's the furnace where all of the thoughts and all of the stinking thinking develops, and grows. And in the world of our minds, we jump to extremes, don't we? Pray continually. Well, I wouldn't have time to eat, sleep, and work. Yet as you go about your day, you are having this monologue in your mind. And it's where you fill in the blanks of unfinished stories. And it's where you predict doom-filled futures, despite the fact that you have no evidence that you are good at predicting the future. The monologue of your mind is like seeing a therapist, but the therapist is you. So you're getting therapy from you, the person who should not be giving yourself advice. This is the monologue in your mind. This is the power that you have to talk yourself into things that are untrue. Think of that. The continual conversation that you have with you, this monologue in your mind, for better and most of the time for worse, can bring you to a place of constant doom. Strained relationships that you don't know how are going to turn out, so you fill in the blank. Jumping to the worst possible conclusion. Parents, we do this with our kids all the time, right? Oh my goodness, I'm the the chief of that. Always coming to the worst possible scenario when it comes to our kids. This is the monologue in your mind. Here's how prayer can take that monologue and, and break it apart. Because prayer has the power to introduce someone else in that conversation. It reminds me of the great, now late, Henry Nouwen. He's a Dutch Catholic priest. He said, thus prayer asks us to break out of our monologue with ourselves and to follow Jesus by turning our life into an unceasing conversation with our Heavenly Father. Prayer introduces a new person to your monologue. Prayer brings another person into the conversation. And if you are here today, or if you're online, and you crave and you long to break out of the monologue of the mind, if your soul is hungry for a therapist and it's not you, it'll be by prayer that introduces the living, breathing God into your conversation. And now the monologue of your mind will turn into a dialogue with the divine. And a dialogue with the divine is where all of the power is actually at. And so if you're here this morning and you are trapped in a monologue in your mind, you are your own therapist, you are filling in the blanks, you are stinking thinking all of the time, we all do it to some degree, you can break out of that. You can break through it. You can get out of the natural and into the supernatural. All you have to do is invite God into your conversations. Amen? All you have to do is acknowledge that the living, breathing God can be spoken with. And he wants to speak with you and talk with you and share his thoughts and fill in the blanks that you are filling in and to be your therapist, so to speak. You probably still need a real therapist, but Jesus and therapists can go a long way. Moving from a monologue in the mind to a dialogue with the divine might be the central thing this morning that you need to integrate into your life. A life that includes a conversation with God. And you're like, well, Luke, how does that happen continually? How does that happen so that it's unceasing? Well, a dialogue with the divine means constantly recurring, not constantly occurring. Some of y'all are sitting next to your spouse. Some of y'all are sitting next to your children right now. You don't talk to them 24-7. I know that some of you try to. But they don't talk to you 24-7. The conversation recurs continuously. Not occurs continuously. There's a conversation with God to be had And the conversation can be like a text thread, always adding to it, making it longer and longer and longer. Uh, No one better than um, a man by the name of Brother Lawrence. He was a lay monk in the Carmelite monastery in the 1600s in Paris, France. He served in the monastery kitchen, so follow me here. He performed very routine and often monotonous tasks, okay? yet found a deep sense of God's presence in every moment by cultivating a continuous awareness of God's presence, God's love and grace, and viewed even his most mundane responsibilities as opportunities for communion with God. This guy ran the kitchen for a monastery and yet was able to cultivate a never-ending conversation with the living God. Simply because everything in his life became a conversation with God. Whether he was making soup, whether he was doing the dishes or serving the rest of the monks in the monastery, he was doing it in communion, in conversation, acknowledging the presence of the living God within his midst. The conversation was recurring continuously. He's quoted saying, there is not in the world a kind of life more sweet and delightful than that of a continual conversation with God. Those only can comprehend it who practice and experience it. Henry Nowen said something similar. Then we will realize that prayer is neither more or less than the constant practice of attending to God's presence at all times And in all places. The monologue in your mind could very well be the trap and the prison that's keeping God out. You're not that good at talking to yourself, you're not that good at giving yourself advice. None of us are. We are in need of the divine, we are in need of the living God to be in our midst that we can communicate with, that he can communicate with us. And prayer is that dialogue. Prayer is the ever awareness of God's presence in your life, the recurring conversation. Uh, In the 1700s, a group of men headed up by uh, an Anglican cleric by the name of John Newton, they met once a month. It's kind of a, a little men's group here once a month for theological discussions. And John Newton, they addressed one theological discussion each month. And he would bring to the the morning group, hey, this is the conversation this month, this is the conversation this month. And it just so happened that he, he brought the conversation piece, the question to the table, what does it mean to pray continually? What does it mean to pray without ceasing. And so, you know, all these talking heads, can you imagine this? A bunch of old guys that think they know what they're talking about, right? are sitting in a circle, and they're batting around answers. And they could not agree on what it meant to pray continually or pray without ceasing. I'm sure that some of the answers were literal, like, oh, we need to literally be in non-stop conversation with God the rest of our lives. Others were probably more like, The recurring, not the occurring. And finally, the the maid of this particular facility, uh, the servant girl, she she brought down uh, the meal for these men that evening. And John Newton had the wisdom and the humility uh, in the moment to strike when the iron was hot and asked this young maid girl, we just have a question for you. We wanted your opinion. What does it mean to you to pray continuously? Or to pray without ceasing. And this was the young girl's answer. Listen to this. Oh, sirs, that's no problem. (laughs) When I get up in the morning, I clothe myself. I pray that the Lord Jesus might clothe me with his righteousness today. When I come down here before you men and I dusted the furniture, I prayed that he might cleanse me from the filth in, in my soul. And when I set this food and drink before you, men, I prayed that Jesus Christ might be my meat and drink until eternal life. So, sirs, I pray my way through the day. I think that's what it means to pray without ceasing. I'm sure that they just disbanded the morning group right then because they finally got an answer. You see, having a communication line with God is going to look like you going about your life as usual. And everything that you engage in is an opportunity to discuss with God. It was just recently that I, I went out um, for an afternoon with my, with my dad. It was, just, it was a kind of a late celebration for Father's Day. And we went out when the, when the um, Canadian wildfire smoke was coming down. And it was just one of those days where like, it was not good to be outside. And, the, you know, the the uh, air index was bad, and, and we just happened to be on the lake that day. It was not a good day to be on the water. It was not a good day to fish, but rather we were out there celebrating Father's Day with each other, and I remember getting on the boat, and I remember just looking over the lake, and the thickness of the smog on the lake reminded me in that moment, like, man, I just can't help but wonder if if the Holy Spirit was tangibly visible, if this is maybe what it would look like, the, like the, thickness, the All around me, the Holy Spirit's presence, God himself, is around me. In that moment, I was reminded, like, I can just ask, Lord, just like this smog right now is consuming me and limiting my visibility, I pray that just like that, the Holy Spirit would consume me and limit my eyes and limit my mind to what is good, and to what is holy, and to what is righteous, and what is pure. Everything can become a living analogy in your world. You just must stop just for a second and ask God to connect what you're going through with what he's doing in the moment. And even though we caught no fish, which is not indicative of my fishing abilities— We caught no fish. It was one of the coolest trips because I was able to bring all these new breakthroughs home with me. I realized, oh, God is around me in this way and God is for me in this way. Everything can be a living analogy in your world. Everything. Praying continuously. Having a never-ending conversation with God. And when you find yourself as a person of prayer, when you find yourself in a moment where it's just you and the living God having the kind of conversations that can break your heart open and reveal all of the things that are happening in your world to God, you will find that this is the way you dine with the living God. This is the way you have dinner with Jesus. This is the way that you break bread with God. You sit with him at a table a proverbial table, and you dine with the living God by prayer. You can integrate communion into that. You can integrate fasting into that. But it will be the conversation at the table between you and God. This is how you dine with Jesus. If you've walked through your life curious about church, curious about God, but you've never spoken with God, it could be because you've never had the courage to pray. Because prayer initiates the conversation with God. And the conversation with God is where all breakthrough and special things happen in your life. You are on holy ground when you are praying to God. Whether it is in your driveway, in your backyard, in your basement, in your room, in your closet, in the prayer room here, in your chair right there. You are on holy ground when you are in conversation with God. That same table, church family, where you dine with the living, breathing God is also the place where we invite those who are lost to participate in a meal with God. Here's what I've picked up in, uh, I gave my life to Jesus when I was 17. I can't do fast math, but that's how long I've been following Jesus. It's been a roller coaster ride, but I've never had anybody but one person ever Turn me down for prayer. One person. I've never had anybody but just this one person turn me down in an offer for prayer. Prayer is not just how you and I dine with God, it's how we invite others to participate in that same meal. If you want to understand what the future of the church looks like in terms of evangelism, you can just forget the gimmicks. It will be a church who's committed to praying for the lost. It will be a church community who knows the names of their neighbors around them, the six to nine neighbors around them, and prays for them continually until they meet the living God. It'll be by prayer that your neighbor meets Jesus. It won't be my church is giving away a free iPad this weekend. You should come to church. It will be because you have fallen on your knees and called out to the living God to work his way to their front door and knock until they open it. That is how you will reach your neighbor for Christ. There is no gimmicks in the kingdom of God. We are working against principalities who want to keep people away from the presence of God. And you think a given away an iPad is going to keep a demon away from them? No, no. It's going to be prayer asking for an angelic presence around that home that will guard them and minister to them in ways that only God can do. It will be by prayer that a wave of evangelism comes upon this city. It'll be by prayer that people confess and repent of sin and forgive each other and find new unity. It will be because people are praying. I want to introduce you to a man. He's long gone. His name is D.L. Moody. In the early 1700s, D.L. Moody—excuse uh, me—in the early 1800s, rather, D.L. Moody was born into a family that did not have a lot of money. He was born to a very, very poor family in Chicago, and then he got into the uh, shoemaking business and was able to make some decent wealth in uh, in shoemaking. Until he had a radical conversion when he met Jesus—radical conversion. And at the time, the strategy for evangelism was really just twofold: it was church planting, it was circuit riding for preaching, and it was and it was prayer, nonstop prayer. And D.L. Moody's biography summarizes his primary method of evangelism. D.L. Moody wrote down on a list a hundred names of friends that he knew that did not know God—a hundred names. And his entire strategy for evangelism was to pray for these hundred names by name until they had saving faith in Jesus. That was it. That was his strategy. That was his method. That was the tool of his time. Like, we'll always use, like, marketing. We'll always use the tools of our time, but we should not pretend like they're more powerful than prayer, right? So he, wrote, he writes down these hundred names on a piece of paper at the end of his life. Ninety-six of those hundred names had come to meet Jesus. And at D.L. Moody's funeral, the last four that attended his funeral were so touched by the service, they gave their lives to Christ at D.L. Moody's funeral. So all hundred names were saved. What was special about D.L. Moody? Was his prayers more powerful than yours? I mean, does God grade prayer on power levels? Like, oh, that was like a solid C minus. Oh, that was an A for sure. Like, no. He intentionally covered these names in prayer until he got the outcome that he saw in his vision. That only God, only God could orchestrate the Holy Spirit's movement around these hundred names so that they would experience saving faith in Jesus. And he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed until 96 out of the 100 were saved. Man, I wish that he could have seen the last four at his funeral give their lives to Jesus. If you want to see the seat to your right and your left filled, if you want to see this city filled with people who worship Jesus, it will because you've got a list of names. You've got your neighbors names memorized, their kids names memorized, and you are praying for them by name until they meet Jesus. That is how this state, this city will experience a fresh awakening. 100 names I want to introduce you to somebody else. His name is Count Nicholas von Zinzendorf. What a guy. Count Nicholas von Zinzendorf, very early 1700, he was born into a a lot of wealth, unlike D.L. Moody, and he inherited a massive estate. And at the time, he was drawn to the ministry, but because of his family heritage, it was incumbent upon him to keep the family business alive, and he decided to take the inheritance of his land and these beautiful facilities and repurpose them for ministry. At the time, there were persecuted religious groups, all believers in Jesus. He found a way to invite all of these persecuted religious groups in what is now present-day Germany and invited them to live at his estate in Herrenhut, Germany. He was a pastor and a leader of the Moravian church. And because he brought all of these people groups together at his estate, there was some real sectarian impulse there. There was a lot of division. There was a lot of misunity and disunity. And so on a hot summer day in the mid-1700s, something happened. They had a prayer service that he introduced the concepts of confession and forgiveness, which laid ground for a revival, what they call the Moravian Revival, where they began to pray, not just for each other, but for the lost around them. And then that evolved and grew into unbroken prayer, which then lasted for one hundred years. For for a hundred years, this this little church in the countryside of herrenhut Germany, this little Moravian church, where the, where the people confessed sin, and forgave each other, and and pursued and sought the face of God, laid a foundation for a prayer revival that lasted 100 years documented by multiple sources. So the historicity of this is actually quite compelling. It's not just like they maybe prayed for 100 years. No, there's multiple sources saying there was unbroken prayer through multiple generations because of this little Moravian revival, this little country church. They prayed for 100 years. 100 names and 100 years. It seems so idealistic and unrealistic until we meet the living God, until we meet the living, breathing God of the Bible who brought his own son back to life. If God can bring someone who is not alive and bring them back to life, can't also God do the what we would say is impossible? I would say yes. And if a hundred names sounds intimidating to you, Start with 10. Take out your phone, open the Notes app, and write down 10 names of people who are lost. Maybe your 10 neighbors, your co-workers, some family members. Just 10. Choose 10. Choose 10. And if 100 years seems intimidating, why not try seven days? If a little country church in Germany can do it for 100 years, I think that a church in 2023 with the tools of our time, we can do seven days. I think that we can do seven days of unbroken prayer. And not that it's about the arbitrary number of 168 hours in a week, but it's the concept, it's the principle, it's the desire, it's the longing to meet with God continuously reoccurring. And how cool it would be If a church, just like ours, committed to seven days of unbroken prayer. Because who knows what could happen in seven days. Nick and I were in the prayer room just before service asking for God to create in that space a new holy ground for our church. That when you would step into that prayer room, something would happen inside of you because you came face to face with the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, you were able to confess unconfessed sin. And you were able to repent of things gone unrepented. And you were able to forgive those who have have wronged you. All laying the groundwork for an ongoing awakening to God's presence. If you want, and if I want, to experience a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit on our life, it's not going to happen by like, well, I just really, really hope that God sees our church this morning and shows up. It will be because we have sought his face. It will be because we have moved around our schedule to meet with him. It will be because your heart is now right. It will be because you have confessed. It will be because you've repented. It will be because you've forgiven. And all you can do is be prepared. All you can do is long. All you can do is thirst for an authentic outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Um, church planting has always reminded me, I was actually told very early on that prayer is the central work of any new uh, expression of church, that it would be prayer, it'd be by prayer, by prayer. And so that's why we're always so blue in the face about prayer here at Mercy Road Northwest is because it is the central strategy for all things. (laughs) It's the primary method of evangelism and discipleship and and likewise. And I remember this coach very early on, he told me, he was like, Church planting is a lot like farming, Luke. You've got to understand that it's your job to break up fallow ground. It's your job to break up fallow ground and to till soil and to plant seeds. But you've got to understand that you have no control over rain or when the sun shines. And I was just so struck by that. I was like, okay, I have a part to play here. It's breaking up fallow ground. Anybody can do that. Tilling soil, anybody can do that. Planting seeds, anybody can do that. But we have no power to send sunshine. We have no power to open up rain clouds. Only God can do that. Only the living, breathing God can bring about all of the vision that our church has. You've heard me say recently that our vision is a jubilee vision of seven years. We believe that our church is well-suited, be it our people, our leadership, um, our budget, the physical assets God has entrusted to us, that we're well-suited to reach a 1,000 spirit-filled people by 2030. And that would be an amazing contribution to the kingdom of God. If a 1,000 churches were to add a 1,000 spirit-filled people to Indiana, that's a million people reached for Christ. We have such a small but yet important part to play in the kingdom of God. And if the people of God would be bring into their life, and integrate into their life, a conversation with God by prayer. It will be that calling of God to send the sun and send the rain, the things we have no power over. But you can prepare the field. You can break up the fallow ground, you can till the soil, and you can plant the seeds. And that is the work of ministry. This next season of, of church growth, this, next season of church multiplication that we have in mind is uh, adding some farm hands to the farm, so to speak. We've hired a couple of new hands. And so I want to invite up a couple of new teammates, both uh, Sam and Justin. Give them a round of applause. If Sam and Justin, if you would come up here, please. (laughs) Sam is our new youth pastor (laughs) that we looked for, for. And Sam, you can come right here, brother. We looked for for six months, and we found them in Helena, Montana, of all places. And we brought them here. We've got them. And Justin and his wife, Krista, they've been part of our church now for a couple of years. And uh, Justin just stepped into an executive pastoral role. Yes, give him a round of applause. And so Justin will be overseeing most all of the executive functions of the church. Praise Jesus, right? So like the finance, the HR, the staffing, all those things that are important, right? Justin's going to handle those under his leadership. Part of what we're doing as a church is putting the priesthood in in the right roles and calling on God to use these people to plant seeds, to break up fallow ground, to till the soil, so that when we pray for sunshine and we pray for rain, God sends it because we can't control it. That's it. That's it. So I want to ask the prayer team, if you serve on the prayer team, would you just come up right now? I want to invite you to lay hands on Sam and, and on Justin. So if you serve on the prayer team in any capacity, would you please come up here right now and, and just and just lay your hands on Sam and Justin and Krista? Because it will be by prayer and it will be the church praying continuously recurring. A never-ending conversation, a never-ending text thread with the living, breathing God. It will be a conversation with, with God by the church that brings about a new awakening to God's presence because there's been a fresh outpouring of his Holy Spirit. I know you want it deep down. I want it deep down too. So would you pray for it? Would you pray for farmers like Sam and Justin? who are going to put their hands to the plow to break up fallow ground, to break up the ground, to till it, to add seed, so that when God sends the rain and sends the sunshine, the things that we cannot control, there would be a crop. There would be a fruitfulness, the likes of which we maybe have never seen before. And so would you just extend your hand right now over Justin and over Sam as a as a participation that you're in this too? And so we're just going to pray for Sam right now, and maybe you're a parent in the room and you just want to pray some intercessory prayers on behalf of Sam and the students that he'll be reaching for Jesus. And as I pray, you can reflect my prayers or pray your own prayers. Let's just pray for the youth of the city that are going to be led by Sam. So Jesus, there's going to be many generations that are impacted because of Sam's leadership. We can see it now. His dedication to your youth and his heart for service of you, Jesus. We pray right now that there would be countless preteens and teenagers that meet Jesus for the very first time because this man has a list of a hundred names of kids that don't know you God, I pray that you would touch this man with your your spirit. Fill him from toe to head. Empower him for the ministry, Jesus. We commission him to you in your name, Jesus, that he might bring about a Moravian revival right here in Indianapolis called the Indy Revival, that under his leadership, we have many teenagers repenting, confessing sin for the first time, becoming baptized, reaching their friends for Jesus at their schools, that there would be a turning of the tide for this new generation. They're not interested in sin. They're interested in you you. They're interested in the Savior. We pray right now that there would be a new generation of youth rising up behind Sam, under his leadership, behind his leadership, that cry out to you day and night, longing for your presence, thirsting for your presence, Jesus. God surrounds Sam in, in great numbers of people who will hold him, hold his hands up, and empower him for ministry. I pray this man would lead with humility, a transparency and candor, God. So we just lift him to you and ask that you would anoint everything he does. And God, for Justin and Krista, just thinking about Justin and the things that he brings to the table at this church and just asking right now that everything that he brings to the table, that you would breathe your breath of life onto and bring to life in a whole new way, that the smooth operations of the businesses of church, God, they're important, They are important. We want to be responsible with the mission, Jesus. And so God, I pray that you would empower this man to look over and comb through every bit of detail so that we are our church that is above reproach in every possible way. That we lead with integrity with our finances and our staffing and our culture and our assets that you've entrusted to us. God, would you use him to bring about a management team, God? That would see a future for this church that is bright and beautiful with a thousand spirit filled people added to Indy. God, use this family. Keep Justin and Krista in your care. Surround them with angelic presence. Jesus, use them. God, empower him. Fill him from toe to head. In Jesus' name, the church agrees by saying, Amen. I want to close with this analogy. My, uh, my wife and I take our kids to a water park here in town and the water park has this big beautiful water slide and this intricate system of pipings and slides and it's interesting because the water park has the same stabilizing braces that keep the platform in the air for the water slide deal also holds up this giant cistern and the difference between a well and a cistern is that a well uh, is, is perforated it, it it's not waterproof, but a cistern is waterproof. And so what happens at the water park is that there's pumps at the bottom that pump water up through the stabilizing braces and put water into this cistern that's on us you know a rotating oscillating thing. And once that cistern is filled up, it tips over by its own weight and pours out and soaks the kids in the all screen. You must understand. That much like a cistern that holds water at a water park, I believe that God is just desiring and wanting to soak you with his presence. But it will be because you have prayed prayers that fill up his cistern. It'll be because that you have spent the intentional time and energy to send water up the stabilizing braces by prayer so that his cistern is so full that he longs and wants to tip it over and soak his church with his presence. I think that every single one of you has the capacity to send prayers into God's cistern. Whether you choose to or not, this morning can be the difference maker for your life. There's 168 hours in a week. And as of this morning, we had 37 hours left to fill for a 24-7 prayer being broken. 37 hours can be filled in all of 37 seconds. There are people in this room that are still on the fence. You can sign up with the QR code. There's many of you that need to take more hours. Many of you need to take a first hour at all. We will empower you. We will resource you so that you are not in there totally blind, totally on an island. It is not an obligation to prayer. It is a privilege to sit with the living God. If you reframe it in your mind's eye that I get to meet with God, it might mean something different than, oh, I have to do this. No, you get to sit with God. You get to speak with the living, breathing God. If you want the cistern of water to pour out on the kingdom of God, you must send prayers up and fill it up and fill up that cistern. Would the church just stand to their feet just for a moment right now? Would you just lift to your feet? Would you just stand to your feet? Would you just close your eyes and hold your hands out in front of you just for a moment? Would you just hold your hands out? Would you just repeat this prayer after me and in your heart and your mind? God, I know you want more for me. I know you want to soak me with your presence. May I have the wisdom and the courage to open my life to you so that you can totally change me from the inside out. Would my hands feel the water? Would my heart be drenched in your presence? Would my family be reunited in love because of prayer? Would my children come home because of prayer? Would my neighbor meet you because of prayer? Would I have the courage to fill 37 hours because you have called me to be a part of something so much bigger than myself? Oh God, we want you and need you and love you and crave you now more than ever. And because of newfound intimacy, we are asking that your cistern would be filled by your church's prayer. And you would let that cistern go and soak the kingdom of God in your presence. So that it would be a fresh awakening to your presence because of a new outpouring of your Holy Spirit. We want it. We long for it. All we can do is prepare for it. If this is you this morning, brother and sister, and you want that in your life, go to the prayer room. If you want that in your life, fall to your knees and cry out to the living God who wants it for you too. Do not leave this sacred space, a new holy ground, space that you've spoken with God at. In Jesus' name, a hundred and 68 hours of unbroken prayer will be filled easily. And in Jesus' name, it might create a new Moravian revival, except in Indianapolis, of recurring prayers that will last multiple generations so that we would see lost people come to know God. In Jesus' perfect name we say,